welcome once again to another episode of The Wall Behind and Beyond. I am your host, Philip A. Jones. As you know, we confront the issues that impact the families and the lives of incarcerated individuals. Our platform is Carceral Reimagination, which is why this particular show is so relevant. Today, we welcome Brian Cohen, who is the founder and CEO of Social Profit Corrections, a self-styled corrections reform movement. He has over 28 years of experience in the field of corrections, which is why we are excited to speak with him. Again, welcome to the show, Brian Cohen. I appreciate you for making the time to speak with us today. Philip, it is my pleasure. I appreciate the invitation. Uh, and I have to say uh, right off the bat, I, I really enjoy your hairstyle. It's, it's, it's a good look on you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Uh, we want to get right to it, please. If you will, tell our listeners a little bit about your background. Well, Phil, thank you. Um, I'm, I come from a, a background of 28 years in corrections. And uh, uh, throughout those 28 years, I started as, on the floor wearing a uniform, actually as a sergeant, because I started in a startup uh, prison. Uh, and I progressed through the ranks uh, to the position of warden. And I held warden at five prisons across the United States. Now, my background's a little different because I, I come from private corrections, uh, otherwise known as contract corrections or for-profit corrections. Um, but the benefit of coming from that background is I'm probably the one of the top diverse experienced correctional leaders in the United States because I manage the contracts for the private vendors. So, so I manage the Bureau of Prison uh, uh, contract, you know, U.S. Marshals, immigration, uh, multiple states, maximum, maximum custody, minimum custody, men, women, uh, and a full service county jail. And in, in contract corrections, when you run a facility or manage the beds for that customer or for that jurisdiction, you adopt their culture, their policies, their audit processes. And so basically you replicate uh, the way they do corrections as an extension for them. So uh, so my background is diverse in that I have experience in pretty much every type of adult corrections. I wanted to ask you because as you were speaking, I had read your bio and I noticed that one of the places that I went through when I was in federal is a place that you had listed for when you were awarded uh, uh, so I just want to let you know, I went through Southern Nevada uh, uh, in Pahrump. Is that the place where you were working? That's one of them. Yes, sir. Yes, I've seen you had multiple on there, and I want to get to some more of that, but I just wanted to let you know, I went through one of the facilities, uh, and it was pretty good. And I wasn't there long, but I liked it the way it was ran. I'm not sure what year you were there, but that's probably uh, part of the style that y'all laid out uh, when you were there, uh, how, how to want, you wanted to change. Um, some of the ways prison was ran, especially on a private level. Correct. Yeah, it's how we do corrections in the United States, all corrections in the United States, to be kind is dysfunctional. Um, you know, we need to find a better way uh, of bringing humanity and not just punishment to our system. So I appreciate your kind words. Uh, the prop facility was a good facility for a, a federal detention. And what does the name social justice corrections imply? Well, social profit corrections is the first nonprofit, in essence, prison company in not only the United States, but really in the world. Now, there are at least one nonprofit prison outside the United States in the country of Belize, uh, but uh, Social Profit Corrections is a 501c3 where we're going to bring uh, business efficiency into corrections 
but we're going to take the, the benefits of those efficiencies and invest them back into the people. Uh, so, uh, you know, our end goal is ultimately to significantly reduce recidivism by helping our government leaders operate facilities and prisons with a whole different mindset, a whole different culture, uh, you know, putting uh, the actually corrections back in corrections and not punishment in corrections. And I just want to correct that. I said social, I meant social profit corrections. I want to make that clear. Um, and I read that social profit correction is a 501c3. And I was curious, what category does that fall under? Is that a private foundation or a private operation foundation? I can't imagine a private prison being a nonprofit. So how does that work? Well, it's a it, it, it's a 501c3, not a not a 501c4. I mean, it, it it's truly a a, a a certified nonprofit. So you know, our purpose is real is to significantly reduce recidivism. I mean, that's why we exist uh, to bring, you know, the benefits of the nonprofit world, uh, the innovation of nonprofits into fixing the, the problem in front of us. And that's the dysfunction of corrections. That's our recidivism rates. That's our staffing challenges. That's the, the, the you know, the overall culture of corrections in the U.S. I like that. And that's why I wanted to talk to you because coming from you, someone been in this business for 28 years um, at, the, at the head of it, um, at the top of the chain, the whole goal and objective um, should be recidivism and not just for people to stay out of prison, but to try to change some of the values um, that they once had to being treated in some a certain kind of way by the people who are uh, charged over them. So I appreciate that, man. Um, and what exactly, if you can answer this question, is the American Correctional Association? Is this a union? If so, do you believe unions will buy into a Norwegian-style correction system here in the U.S.? Well, I was in uh, Norway three weeks ago uh, touring their system. Norway is an example of a country who who had recidivism as high as ours, I believe they were they were at ninety one percent, and they had to find a way uh, to correct that, to fix that, and so they brought in and adopted a principles, uh, three main principles called dynamic security, which is allowing the officers and the staff to engage in a professional relationship as helpers, not just security. Uh, number two, they it's called normalty. So as best as they can, they they create the environment inside the fence or inside the walls as normal as possible. And then the last is called the import model. They bring in services from the community into corrections to help. So medical, library, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of the, the support services come are actually from the community that come into the facilities or the prisons to assist. And they credit this, this model into reducing their recidivism to right around 20%. So our country is, the last report was 83% recidivate within nine years of being released. Uh, you know, very similar to Norway's 91 uh, you know, and so can we learn from them and their principles, uh, and uh, you know, to help us reform our culture, our system. Now, keep in mind, we're different. We're big. We're violent. We're diverse. And Norway's not. But the principles that they applied in reforming their system are sound, and we believe we can learn from that and apply that into our nonprofit model uh, to bring about change in how we do corrections. Hey, that's interesting because, you know, you know I talked to a couple of Norwegian uh, uh, story uh, makers and I've never heard something what you just said and I found it very interesting. Where, am I wrong to say that you were saying they outsourced their corrections models like the, the medical, the, you know, all the services provided, do they outsource that to the community and not 
created within? Correct. Yeah, the U.S. Corrections has basically one of one of two sources for medical or for library or those kinds of support services. It's either internal to the DOC or to the department, or they use a private contractor to run it for them. But in Norway, that doesn't happen. Their their hospital system, their local public hospital system comes into the prison or into the facility and provides medical care. So the benefit is 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 when a person is released, they're not released to the streets with a, with no record, no history, uh, you know, uh, to follow them. They go into the community, into the public uh, medical system. In this case, for example, which is the same as the prison was using. So there's continuity of care. And as you can imagine, somebody who has you know some mental health, uh, you know, challenges, you know, and they have medication, and they're released out of the prison with seven days, and then after the seven days, then what? Uh, where in Norway they go from the inside medical, which is the same as the outside medical. So there's no gap, uh, or, you know, or chances of a gap in that medication or cotton care. And I think that's a good idea. And I think that is a powerful way uh, to start, you know, uh, making some changes within the system that will count for something. Because when you release, you're already in the public system, the community system. And so you don't have to struggle to get enrolled or find uh, resources that's available because you've already been um, having access to it. Um, so that's, I think that's a great idea. Um, and so on your trip, did you come away with any valuable insights about how we can improve on our current prison model here in the U.S.? Uh, absolutely. I mean, in, in understand, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an operations person. I'm a practitioner uh, by training and experience since I ran so many uh, prisons. So I, I look at it at other systems and ideas with that that eye or that lens. And although you can't just pick up the Norway system and input it in the United States, we're two different of countries. Plus their largest facility, I think, has 277 people in it. Uh, their, their correctional officers go through two years of training, where ours, you know, might be four or five weeks. You know, so, you know, you just can't pick up Norway and drop it in, into the United States. That, that won't work. But the principles of allowing uh, for dynamic security in our country uses what's called static security. So a lot of gates, a lot of bars, a lot of fences, razor wire, gas, guns. You know, it's very orientated towards that, that, that static aspect of security. And what Norway brings to the table is what's called dynamic security, where they allow their staff, uh, they train their staff as both security and social work. So a correctional officer is allowed to engage in a helping uh, relationship with our incarcerated uh, people. So they're the helpers. They're just not security. They're just not the badge wearers. They're just not the police. They're bigger than that, uh, you know, and which is a, a lesson that our country can learn uh, as we move forward to bridge that gap of distrust between the staff and the, the incarcerated folks. And that, uh, that makes a lot of sense, actually, because when they would step out, uh, we have to interact with the community uh, on a professional level. And so to, to think that you can be in an environment where you know, you're trying to re-enter society or transition um, successfully. And your social uh, abilities to communicate with staff and uh, correction uh, officers uh, is is not there because it's limited on what you can say and um, how you can um, articulate yourself. Um, you have to be very cautious and careful about all interactions. And so I think that that's a great thing. Um, and it gets people prepared to speak on professional levels uh, to others out in the community that they're going to have to come in contact with. Yeah, it, it, and it's a start. I mean, it's our country, you know, 
we have you know a popular term, and the term I use is a punishment culture for corrections. Well, the punishment is restriction of freedom from society. But in U.S. corrections, it goes beyond that. Uh, because once you get into the system, it's almost as if you're punished the whole time you're in. You know, in all reality, the term corrections is to help people change their lives, become productive citizens once they're released. But our country doesn't treat corrections that way. Where Norway, when you're inside, uh, you're you're treated as close as they can to a person in society to truly prepare them for release. Uh, you know, in our our country. You know, it's fifty dollars in a bus ticket once you're released. In many cases, you don't have your education completed. You don't. You don't have your addictions treatment. Uh, you know, uh, challenges addressed. You know, you don't. You're still struggling potentially with mental health. Uh, and then we wonder why we have such a high return rate, high recidivism. And I hesitate using the word recidivism to be honest with you, because there's 50 different definitions. But the point is, is you get out and something happens, uh, you're rearrested and you're reincarcerated. Uh, you know, but our system isn't designed to help people; it's designed to punish them. That's wow. And the reason why I say that is because I've read somewhere where they say that the lost your liberty. You have 60 seconds remaining. And when you think about that, you know, your time, that you've been sentenced to uh, serve time and be away from your family and uh, society, that's the loss of your liberty. That's the punishment. And corrections are supposed to be um, reconstituting your health and your, your, your position in community through uh, remorse, restorative justice, and so forth. So that's something that we need to kick back and get some thought to. You have 30 seconds remaining. And I'll kick back on the other side of that in a couple minutes. Okay. Thank you all for listening, subscribing, and sharing my podcast. Here are three ways to help me today. Consider donating, if you can, to my GoFundMe for my freedom efforts. You can find that by typing in Incarcerated Lives Matter, Philip Alvin Jones on GoFundMe. Subscribe today to my YouTube channel, The Wall Behind and Beyond. Comment and share. We are on our journey to a 1,000 subscribers. We can do this. Visit GrantParoleToPhilip.com. It's a one-stop shop that has my direct contact info and awesome social media sites. Please get in touch with us if you'd like to help in any way with Team Philip. Thank you, and keep listening to The Wall Behind and Beyond. This call will be recorded and monitored. We're back. Uh, I want to pick off where we left off, and I think I have my next question, unless you have something that you wanted to uh, add on. Well, I, I can talk for hours. Why don't you go ahead and ask your question? <laughs> okay. So do you think that corrections can be reformed? Or I should I say, do you think that the system uh, can be reformed? Absolutely. And and I say that because I know there are others who believe we're so far broken or gone that we won't be able to to fix. But this is a calling for me. This is bigger than me. Uh, this is about helping our country. And I believe, you know, I served in the Marine Corps, you know, and I'm very proud of the United States. But one thing I can't be proud of is how we treat our people in corrections. And I'm not talking just the incarcerated people. I'm talking about the staff also. A correctional officer's lifespan is 16 years less than the general public. Uh, the suicide rate is highest of any law enforcement profession out there. Uh, you know, so corrections is, is bigger than recidivism. It's, it's hurting, uh, you know, and, you know, we're, we're going to have to, and I believe that we have solutions, that our team has solutions and we're challenging the assumptions and we're coming up with a new model, uh, embracing a dynamic security principle, embracing coaching. Uh, we believe in bringing coaching into our culture, both on the staff wise for the incarcerated and for, and for the, you know, the, the, the leaders within the incarcerated population. 
having them as coaches because we know that they have significant influence over others, especially the younger of the population that are inside. So uh, is there hope? Absolutely. You know, and, and we want to bring a proof of concept, different way of running facilities uh, and show the United States, see this works. Uh, this other concept, this dynamic security concept, this, this compassion model, this humane model is still good for safety and security, but really it brings uh, to the top of the table is, is treating incarcerated folks with respect and dignity, giving them a fair chance and opportunity so they do succeed. when they're. I like what you said. And let me just say, corrections officers, people who work in institutions and prisons are human beings. They got family members, kids, and they're doing the best they can. And it's their job. And, you know, I, I'm not going to say uh, that there's an us against them mentality. I don't believe in that. But what I do think is that we're each stakeholders and that in order for it to be successful and to work uh, for community and public safety, we have to be working together. And just because I'm in prison don't mean that I'm not a part of my own, uh, you know, uh, rehabilitation or, you know, it's my, it's my duty and my responsibility. So, therefore, I should be sitting at the table. And that's why my organization is working towards, you know, doing consult- consultation work uh, with other agencies to try to give them the side view of us that's sitting on this side. You know, what can we contribute? So I appreciate you for uh, bringing that up. It's about both sides. Well, absolutely. You know, and, and one of the challenges that I don't know that people outside of, of the system really understand is, is there's two major crises right now in correction. Number one is, re, is recidivism, uh, you know, and that's been a crisis for 200 plus years in the United States. But the other crisis is inconsistency, which is caused by the officer staffing crisis right now. They can't find people uh, to work inside of corrections. And if we don't have the security posts staffed, well, what happens is they shut down programs in order to meet the minimum security requirements of the prison. Well, that's just completely counterproductive, at, you know, because of course the end goal is to help people uh, within the system so they don't come back. But how do you help people when you don't have the resources to help them? Uh, so, you know, so there's two major crises that we that we need to address right now Nationwide, there's a huge officer uh, staffing crisis. Uh, you know, the people, especially the younger generation, they don't want to work in prisons. Uh, you know, and what we bring to the table is actually purpose for the job. I mean, you don't, you're not coming there just to be security. You come in there to be coaches and helpers, uh, you know, to engage in, with the population in a way that is helpful, which is encouraging, uh, you know, and they're not just the person that's doing count and handing out mail and feeding chow. Uh, so, we have to address that officer crisis impact on recidivism. Man, I really like that. And I thought about something when you said something about coaching. If you think about it, you know, I was just talking to uh, Erica earlier about how hard and difficult it was for me to uh, uh, start a bank account. Now I have two different accounts, one business and one personal. But if I had like someone who was a staff person that does this stuff every day and I could say, you know what, I'm having a problem getting a bank account. What did you advise that I could do to get around this hurdle? Because I don't have long and I'm trying to be uh, in a position when I get out uh, to hit the ground running. I mean, these are questions like that that someone could give you some advice on. You know, instead of it's always being everything, you know, policy-driven, you know, there's rules and regulations, talk to a person like a human being. If someone asks you a stranger on a bus or something or in a store, you know, just anything. Like, this is regular conversation that people give you advice on. So when you said that word coaching, I thought about, man, we had those type of relations where 
when I'm running into a difficulty, when I'm trying to do right, and I'm trying to do something to make myself, you know, successful once I'm released, uh, there's somebody know a way that I think can help or show me, um, that would be kind. That's just something that popped in my head as you were talking. Yeah, I, I do a, a monthly round table with, I mean, I'm based out of Phoenix. So uh, with a, it's an organization called New Freedom, uh, but they do a 90 day programming for those that are recently released and help them uh, get a job and, you know, the, you know, help them get their feet on the ground. And so I go there on a monthly basis and talk to a group of eight to 10, you know, justice involved, newly justice involved or just released. Uh, and we talk about their experiences in prison to help us or help me better understand how do we address the challenges. Because although I worked in prison for 28 years, I wasn't incarcerated. I was allowed to go home every day. So we're learning from them. I mean, in stories, they, they get out, they don't know how to pump gas. They don't, they don't like to go into grocery stores because they're afraid to be around other people. They, you know, they can't open a bank account, which you alluded. I mean, these are just things that, that, you know, on the free world, people assume that when you come out of the prison system, you just know because they do it every day and they don't know any different. Well, that's not true. They don't know. They've been incarcerated. So, you know, and the coaching model, I believe, is really going to help build that that trust between those that are incarcerated and, you know, especially, you know, all staff, but specifically the security officers, the correctional officers, uh, because truly, you know, the reason our, our country doesn't allow that to happen is they're afraid the staff are going to get compromised, you know, and so they prohibit them from engaging in any kind of relationship, um, uh, professional relationship, uh, which dynamic security, that's the premise of it. It's a professional relationship. You don't talk about your kids, but you do talk about parenting and there's a fine line there and we need to train them on how that that fine line works so we can help those that are that are on the inside be productive citizens on the outside. Most definitely. You hit it on the nose. And I do agree with what you just said. There is a fine line, but there's a way to approach these type of uh, conversations in a way that's healthy. What are your thoughts on mass incarceration or do you believe that there's um, a problem? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, as a warden, you know, I've you know, I've met thousands and thousands of, of incarcerated folks, and th there are many in the system that, quite honestly, they don't need to be there. Uh, you know, they, you know, some of them, many of them, uh, were nonviolent offenders. Uh, you know, the, you know, this, this uh, uh, punishment aspect and, and mentality and philosophy of those who are who are using drugs and giving them. I mean, I've seen people with no violent offense just because a drug charge is giving life. Uh, you know, I mean, that's just. That's insane. I mean, it. You know, those that are. You know, you know, once they hit their forties, you know, you know, you look at them and you have these conversations. You know, this person is not going to harm society again. Uh, you know, they might have did something rash when they were twenty three years old, but uh, you know, but maturity has a wonderful way of helping people grow up. You know, the, the purpose is to correct the behavior. Uh, you know, and so let's let's focus on correcting the behavior and and not taking somebody uh, you know, their their life away especially for a nonviolent offense, uh, you know, for, for their life, because their family pays for this, their kids pay for it, their communities pay for it. This is bigger than the person being incarcerated. For sure. You know, we got to be fiscally responsible. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of taxpayer dollars being spent on uh, some of this uh, incarceration business. Uh, I already understand your thoughts, and I'm coming to uh, familiar with your philosophies, but I want to ask you, what is your vision for the future of prisons here in the U.S.? Our, our vision is pretty simple. Uh, we want to use our nonprofit model, uh, our experience, extensive experience, our team's extensive experience in corrections, and show the United States that there's humane uh, way of operating prisons, which has a whole different philosophy and culture than what we currently use. And that our idea and our principles and our solutions are safe, 
Uh, it's not going to, it's actually going to have a lower risk for society. It's going to have a lower risk for violence on the inside with our model. And once we have a proof of concept, we measure what we do, believe in outcomes, you know, uh, and, and you can't fix something if you don't know the outcomes and corrections isn't, isn't the best at measuring. Uh, but we want to show society, look, this idea works. And we're a learning organization. So if, if we're measuring a, a new mental health program and the outcomes are not good for the population, we can change on a moment's notice. It won't take us years. So once we, we get this proof of concept and we show everybody how well this works, it's a humane way of running prisons and jails. By the way, it's not just prisons, it's jails also. Uh, and then we want to give it away. We will give it to the government. We will help them implement it. Uh, but we need to do some pretty radical changes uh, on how we operate corrections right now. We want to be the model for that change. It's all about evolving, you know, taking the things that work and keeping them and implementing them more across the board and then getting rid of the things uh, that we have seen that don't work. And, and so I believe that if you do that, it's through experience, like you said. Get rid of the stuff that don't work and save that money or direct it to other programs, even if it's more training involved. So I think that we're coming, think that in no time uh, we can implement these policies and these changes, uh, but it's going to definitely take cooperation and people that don't stand to uh, profit or gain uh, from the misery of the, of, of the people who have to be incarcerated unnecessarily. Well, absolutely. You know, and, and you are right that the system is money motivated and money supported. And there, there are people that, that will resist the type of reform that we're suggesting. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about human beings. It's about people. Uh, you know, we, we have to quit treating our people as they're disposable. Uh, you know, look at inequality. 60% of those incarcerated in the United States, of the 2 million plus that are incarcerated are black and brown. The, the general society, it's it's 30% or less. I mean, it, it, it's not difficult to figure out who's in prison, you know, uh, and, that, and that's unacceptable. And we have to come up with a solution uh, in order to help. I mean, so, you know, and we're brave enough to raise our hand and say enough. You know, we can't keep doing this. This is This is unacceptable. This is in many ways inhumane, uh, you know, and you know, we want to show you there's a better way of doing this. Um, our team is also has uh, justice involved, involved folks on. If we don't bring, uh, you know, uh, justice involved, formerly incarcerated folks to the table, we're not going to fix this problem. But it, it, and there's no one person that's going to do it. It's all of us. It's the nonprofits. It's the the faith-based organizations, our government leaders, uh, it, it's us, you know, as far as a nonprofit corrections company, uh, you know, it, it's the formerly incarcerated, it's the community, it's the hospital, it's the high school. All of us have to come together to solve this. This, the, the, No one entity, one person, one organization can fix this. But we want to be the conduit for that change because we believe that we can do this and that there's a better way and a better culture to treat our people with humanity uh, and help them. Most definitely. I like that, man. Uh, your ideas are definitely uh, catching my attention. But uh, one of my guests once said, we cannot just throw our people away. Uh, we got over 2 million people incarcerated in America, whether it be prison or jails, federal or state. So we have to uh, do something. Or in the long run, it's going to hurt us like any other uh you know, economic situation. So, and the toll is not just economic, it's mental health. Um, I'm big on that. I'm a champion of that because a lot of people, especially people who have been incarcerated as long as me, there's no way that you ain't, you're not affected or impacted by your condition. We're trying to make it as, as, as normalized as we possibly can for uh, someone to be inside. But when I say normalized, I'm kind of talking about trying to make it as seemingly 
as you're free as you possibly can by be still being inside. That might be a lofty idea or something, but that is my vision, and that's what I would like to see. Humanity first. It's a good vision, um, you know, and, and your listeners and yourself uh, and, and us and our team, you know, and general society, they want change. They want reform. They just don't know where to go because the system is the system. It's been that way for 240 years. Uh, and you just can't flip a switch and change a culture and a system that's existed for that long. And that's why we're a, we're a, a fresh new option. Uh, we come in, we wipe the slate, we rebuild from ground up uh, what we believe is the right way or a better way of doing it. And then again, share, you know, and help, uh, you know, because we have, you know, we have a lot of work in front of us together uh, in order to make this happen. So, uh, but we're brave enough to raise our hand and say, we'll take the lead. We're not afraid. Uh, this is this is an overwhelming challenge and many people think it can't be fixed, uh, but I disagree. And I think there's a, there's so many passionate, talented people that if we can bring them together, or when we bring them together, we're going to see an actual culture movement uh, of reform in the United States. And we're happy to take the lead. On. For sure. Thank you for wanting to do that. What do you want people to take away from this interview? Uh, well, I think awareness is always key. Um, and I say that because I think people listening to your podcast already know the system has challenges. But I mean, help us, uh, you know, uh, take a look at our, our website, spcor.org. You look at what we're doing, pass on the word. Uh, we are a nonprofit, so there is a fundraising component to it also. Uh, you know, but um, help us get established, at least get our first proof of concept facility. Uh, and then we'll be transparent. Uh, we'll measure what we do. We'll show all the supporters the benefit of, of what we're doing and move this idea forward. If it's one thing I've learned leaving the warden chair is the value of networking and the value of passion and the value of people. And I can tell you that we don't have time, but story after story of people gravitating to this nonprofit solution because they really have nothing to look to. Uh, and they're, they're frustrated because they need to see reform. We need to see reform. We have to see a change. And they're looking at us at least as the start of that movement in the right direction. So pass the word that we exist. Take a look at what we're doing. Give us feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, be supportive of us as, as we challenge the, the United States culture and assumptions and corrections. And together, we'll make a difference. Absolutely. My next question, you answered a little bit of it, but please tell our listeners how they can get involved or help in the efforts to bring about meaningful restructuring of the correctional system here in this industry. Well, I think the, the, the best strategy, and I hesitate to use the word strategy because culture eats strategy for breakfast every morning, but let people know that there's another option. We're new. I mean, we're a brand new concept that's never existed, not only in the United States, in all reality, the world. You know, let them know we exist, uh, that there is hope. Look us up, uh, ask us questions, get us involved in podcasts. Uh, you know, we're happy to come, you know, make presentations to the communities. I mean, whatever we can do, uh, you know, to, to network, to explain, to show uh, that we have a solution in front of us. Uh, it's just a matter of how do we support that and how do we, uh, you know, and then I think once we get the one one proof of concept facility and people see what we can do and the humanity we bring to this, this challenge culture of ours, we're going to grow. Uh, and the idea is going to grow quickly. And I think we're going to see some significant impact on people. Y'all heard it here. Social Profit Corrections, Brian Cohen, check them out. And I thank you very much for coming on the wall and answering our questions. Uh, we look forward to working with you or consulting with you here in the near future uh, because I think you've got some great ideas. And I think that people would be uh, remiss um, not to check out what you're doing over there and try to implement that model also. Philip, thank you, sir. Uh, and, and I appreciate that. And I look forward to those opportunities. Again, 
we're all in this together, uh, but together we, we can take down the mountain of dysfunction and of corrections uh, and, and rebuild it you know, in a humane way, the proper way, in a way that takes care of our people. So I thank you for your time today. Absolutely. Have a great day. Take care. I was just saying, appreciate you, your invitation and thank you for the time. And hopefully this helps as far as move the pendulum in the right direction in our country. Absolutely, man. You did us a, you did us a great service today. Getting a chance to speak to somebody that's, you know, on your level, um, that's basically uh, at the top trying to make changes. That's what we need to talk to. And I'm glad that you took the time out for us um, to, to stop by. And that's, that's always big us. And we're going to promote that. Yes, sir. Well, again, together we'll make a difference. I'm here if you need anything. You know, it's this, this is my purpose in life. This is, you know, until I retire, whenever that's going to be, you know, this, this is my passion. Um, you know, I'm, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a Marine, you know, I'm not afraid of a good fight. Uh, and right now, uh, corrections reform is a fight. Uh, it's, it's, everyone's going to resist it the whole way through. Uh, and that's okay. Cause there's people like you and me that are raise their hand and will stand tall and you know, will challenge the assumptions and the system, you know, and, and together we're the types that need to, to band to make a difference. So I just appreciate you and what you're doing. Oh, man, I'm going to keep doing it to the best of my ability for as long as I can, even on the outside. Uh, what I want to say, too, is finally is that they got to untie law and order, crime and justice from corrections because it's two separate uh, uh, subjects, if you ask me. Because as long as you tie the two together, um, you're going to have people resisting um, changes because they believe, oh, they, put, they need to be punished. That's what they're there for. You know, when you, when you, it's because they tied it to public safety. But we understand that public safety uh, is something that's a great concern, especially when crime is rising. But what you have to understand is that people that's broken, they cannot uh, do anything other than what they're doing until, they, until that part of them is addressed, um, what is broken in, in them. Once, we, once we're able to do that and give them other opportunities, uh, I believe that we will see a reduction in crime and recidivism. Yeah, this this next election is going to be interesting because people are going to run on on tough on crime platform because it wins elections, uh, and I'm afraid it's going to hurt uh, worse than what we already are. So, um, you know, if that does happen, we start, we might see the pendulum swing a little swing a little bit farther towards the punishment side. Uh, you know, and so not that that's that's going to be a challenge. I mean, <laughs> uh, but the reality is we can't be afraid of it. I mean, we need to we need to address it head on. You know, help those politicians understand that being hard on crime that that whole philosophy. Although the principle of it, I get, uh, but the end result of it is not to the benefit of our people. For sure. Because the more people we lock up, we also hurt kids, uh, families broken up. Um, then you've got the cycle repeating itself. Um, so that's not the answer. We already know. We've seen it already. Uh, we just got to come to grips with it. For sure. Right. You are, and you're doing a great job of that, man. Keep up the good work. Oh, I appreciate it. We're, we're, we're new. Uh, it's going to take all of us to get uh, together. Like I said, it's, uh, it's already been a challenge. Uh, and there's people pushing back again. Like I said, I'm, I'm not afraid of a good fight and there's nothing more noble in my opinion than corrections reform. Absolutely. 100. I'm, de- I'm definitely down for you, man. I'm going to uh, put that word out there that everybody needs to get involved. And if they're ready uh, to roll their sleeves up and reach out and contact you, the organization and everything, which I'm doing over there. We'll get that word out, too. Appreciate you, Philip. Thank you. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speaker or our guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the wall behind and beyond.